So uh, Jamin's already mentioned a couple of these ancient practices that we are joining with the church. Uh, we've done the Apostles' Creed, and we've done uh, the passing of the peace, and the lectionary is another one of those things. And I'm really, I've never been a part of a church that's used the lectionary to, to uh, determine where we're going. Um, but it's really great. If you're, if you're new to it, it basically it gives you four uh, passages each week. There's uh, an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a gospel reading, and a reading from the, one of the epistles. And uh, it's, it's really great. And so, um, and, and then the, the person that's teaching chooses from one of those. So I got the, uh, the, the list of the four passages from Drew. And he said, you know, normally each week there's a theme and it's kind of fun. And I was like, well, that's great. Well, then I read them and they're all on judgment. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know if I'd call this fun. Maybe I picked the wrong week. Um, but, and, and the first, the, the Old Testament reading's Malachi. And my first thought was, I'm definitely not doing that one. Cross that one off without even reading the other ones. But I did read the, the, the passage and I didn't understand it. And so I read the whole chapter and uh, I still didn't understand it. And so I read all four chapters. I understood it perfectly. No, I still didn't understand it that well. And so, but I was curious about it. I was curious to like, okay, um, I'm curious. Here's what else I was curious about. When, when Drew sent me that, and you'll see it in the, on the screen and in your, uh, in your bulletin. It's, two, it's uh, chapter four, verse one through two A. You see that? So I'm curious, like, does that mean there's a B? And why does Drew not want me to read B? <laughs> what, what's Drew trying to hide from me, from us? I knew there was a conspiracy going on, and there have been a few times in my life where people have called me a rebel. And so I read B. And this morning, we're going to read B. All right? So why don't you stand for the reading of the word? Now, I can't guarantee that the B part will change your life, but I think it might. Okay. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And here it comes. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. The word of the Lord. All right, you can be seated. Let's pray. Uh, well, God, a, a little levity is good when talking about judgment. Um, this is a challenging passage, and I just pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to, uh, to just receive what you'd have for us uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are some, uh, some valid reasons why someone like myself would say pass. When, when Malachi is one of the options. There's also a reason, so Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. There's also a reason if you've ever tried to um, do the Bible in a year, and you kinda in the summer, whatever, you get behind some, and then you get to fall and it's almost time for New Testament, you're like, I'm just gonna skip these minor prophets and get, get to baby Jesus. Um, there's a reason we do that. Here's a few reasons. One is it's, it's very ancient and it feels ancient. Uh, it's about 2,500 years old, um, and it just seems really disconnected from our lives today. It also is very, it seems very harsh, just even what I just read. Um, 
and it's a bit offensive to our modern sensibilities. I mean, it starts, it said, I'm going to come and set some folks on fire. And he's not saying I'm gonna get them pumped up. <laughs> so we don't know what to do with that. Third, it's very context specific. And when we don't understand the context, it's hard to know what in the world's going on. So let's start with some context. What's going on here? So fast, uh, let's rewind even more. Go back 3,000 years. You've got David, David and Goliath, David. He's the second king of Israel. He's a good king. Uh, Israel in these days is a, uh, a superpower in the world. They are... Uh, um, it's kind of the, the, uh, the glory days of Israel. His son is Solomon, same thing. They have a, this amazing temple. God's presence is there. Well, then after Solomon, the kingdom splits in two. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, which is made up, if you remember even back further, that God's people were made up of 12 tribes. So the, the northern kingdom of Israel is made up of 10 of those tribes. And then the southern kingdom of Judah is made up of two. <clears throat> Fast forward a little bit, about 200 years after Solomon's death, um, the superpower known as Assyria comes, and they pretty much obliterate the northern kingdom. Obliterate is a, a real word because we don't really know what happens to these tribes. A little while later, another superpower comes on the scene. It's Babylon. And uh, they destroy the temple in, in uh, Judah and Jerusalem, but they don't obliterate these people. They have a different strategy for domination. They... Uh, they take the best and brightest from the, the nations they've conquered and they bring them back home uh, to, to Babylon to indoctrinate them into their culture and actually better their society. And so that's what happened. We see this period of exile. Uh, God's people are taken from their home into a foreign land and they spend some time there. Well, pretty soon Babylon's done. Um, Persia comes, as I like to call them, uh, Robin's people. And uh, so they actually allow God's people to go back home and they even help fund the uh, rebuilding of the temple. Now it's not nearly the same uh, extravagant temple. And so God's people now are home. Uh, they have a temple. Uh, it sounds like things should be good, but they, they weren't really great. They weren't the way they had used to been. The, the glory days were really far in the rearview mirror the Messiah had not come. They, the, this one they had been waiting on still hadn't come. And so I think we can understand what that feels like when things haven't happened as you thought they would happen. Disillusionment sets in, right? And then what often follows disillusionment is cynicism. And then what follows cynicism often is apathy. You just kind of start going through the motions. And this is the state of affairs when Malachi enters the picture. And the way it fleshes itself out in this context is there's a temple, but the temple service um, is being neglected because of a lack of money. People have quit giving their tithes and offerings. Now, pause, if you've ever heard a sermon on Malachi, it's probably about tithing. Second, the priests, you know, there's a sacrificial system and the priests are offering sacrifices, but they're offering blemished and diseased animals. And then the other thing that's going on is men are divorcing their wives just majorly. And they're marrying foreign wives who worship foreign gods. Now, if you've heard a second sermon about Mal Malachi, it's probably on divorce. 
So again, this seems ancient. This seems disconnected from life today. We don't have a temple. We don't have a sacrificial system. And it's okay to marry foreign wives, right, without the fear of them leading us astray. But what we probably all can get behind is what was going on internally inside of these people. They're wondering, where is God, and does he still love us? We can resonate with that question, right? So Malachi comes on the scene, and he responds to this. He says, yes, God still loves you. Yes, God still has a plan. Yes, the Messiah is still coming. But in the meantime, it's each person's responsibility to live a kind of, the kind of life that's fit for God's holy kingdom. That's basically what this book is about. <clears throat> and this book, these four chapters are written around this series of question and response, question and response. The people ask a question and God responds. There's about seven questions. We're not going to get into all of them, but I do want to hit a few. So the first one, um, and we're going to kind of walk through these four chapters. So if you have your Bible, you can do that. I'll have a lot of this on the screen, but God tells them that if you love me, if you really love me, you will honor me, but you have not honored me. You've actually shown contempt for my name. That's the first thing he's got against them. And so their first question is, how have we shown contempt for your name? And so he responds, he says, when you offer sacrifices, and he's talking to the priests at first, when you offer sacrifices, you're offering uh, your leftovers, the lame and the diseased animals. And you wouldn't do that to your governor, so why are you doing that to me? But he doesn't end with that. He actually says it would actually be better if you just shut the doors of your temple because I'm not gonna accept your offerings. Um, On the screen is this next piece. It says, when you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So while it's easy to gloss over the sacrificial system stuff and the temple stuff, I think we all know what it's like to give God or to give somebody we care about our leftovers, right? So we, can, we, can, we know what that's like. Well, then God compares the current priests with Levi. Levi Uh, It was Levi's tribe who became the priesthood for God. So continue on, it says, my covenant was with Levi, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. All right, so the first passage we looked at um, had this word revere. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its race and you'll go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Revere was in that, right? And then in this last passage, we we heard the word fear. Um, It said, my name is to be feared among the nations. Now, these two words, revere and fear, it's the same word. It's the Hebrew word yirah. It means the same thing. Um, And then in this last passage, um, reverence, revered. So what does it mean to revere? That's not a word we use a lot. Well, it's to feel deep respect, admiration, 
honor for someone. It's to treasure. In this passage about Levi, it's to stand in awe of. And this is what God's desire is. We just heard it read in these Psalm passages that God actually desires us to give honor to him. And even one of those passages even talked about the mountains will clap, the mountains, the rivers, like he desires that. And it's actually for our benefit as well. And this wasn't happening. The disillusionment had led to cynicism, which had led to an apathy of just going through the motions. Well, that leads to the next question. So God, God tells the people through Malachi that they have wearied him with their words. That's a tough thing to hear from God. They've wearied him. And so their question is, how have we wearied you with our words? Here's the response. I think it's on the screen. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? So go back to the story. They're back in their land. They have a temple. They've been released from Babylon. On the surface, things look good, but they're not. And what they're saying is, it's, it's the, the age-old question. We've heard the question, why do bad things happen to good people? It's also, why do good things happen to bad people? That's basically what they're asking. The evil people are still succeeding. You must not care, God. And where is the God of justice? Now, I, I um, you know, I, 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 sometimes I, when I think about where's the God of justice, it's very self-centered. It's like when some dummy has cut me off in traffic and I'm like, God, avenge me, right? Um, have you ever done that? No? Yeah, you have. Um, I, I think that's kind of what's going on here, that they're, they're, they're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about really what justice is, right? And so, uh, so to the question, where is the God of justice? The God of justice replies. Now, we've got a pretty long passage here, and we're going to look at it from the message. It's really good. So it says, look, I'm sending my messenger on ahead to clear the way for me. Suddenly, out of the blue, the leader you've been looking for will enter his temple. Yes, the messenger of the covenant, the one you've been waiting for. Look, he's on his way. A message from the mouth of the God of the angel armies. That's basically Eugene Peterson's way of saying the Lord Almighty. But who will be able to stand up to that coming? Who can survive his appearance? He'll be like white hot fire from the smelter's furnace. He'll be like the strongest lye soap at the laundry. He'll take his place as a refiner of silver, as a cleanser of dirty clothes. He'll scrub the Levite priests clean, refine them like gold and silver until they're fit for God, fit to present offerings of righteousness. Then and only then, Will Judah and Jerusalem be fit and pleasing to God as they used to be in the years long ago? So God's saying, you're asking for where's the God of justice? He's saying, I'm coming, but are you ready for my coming? And at first they're like, yeah, absolutely. And then he says, I'm coming like hot, white hot fire uh, from the furnace. And you say, maybe not. <laughs> maybe I'm not ready for that. So let's talk about fire for a moment. Because this is, so... This is where the lectionary is really important. Uh, Jamie and I were just talking about that. Normally, we're not, a pastor usually doesn't go to these. And I, as I said, normally we're not sure what to do with some of these little books towards the end of the Old Testament, these, these prophets. But the lectionary is kind of making us go there, which is, is good. There's something here. So let's talk about fire for a minute. 
Uh, when we think about fire, we think about a fire that incinerates, like a forest fire. You hear about what's been going on in the last few years in California. These fires that are just incinerating everything in its path, right? Well, that's not the kind of fire that Malachi is talking about. He's talking about a refiner's fire, a fire that refines, a fire that purifies. It doesn't destroy it's a fire that takes all the impurities of the silver and the gold so that it's pure silver and pure gold. It actually, this refining process does something good. Um, he says it's the same thing with laundry soap. It's actually cleaning. It's doing something that in and of itself it can't do. Uh, so this is where we begin to feel some relevance, right? Um, but we have to ask the question, do we feel the need to be cleansed? Do we feel the need to be refined? Or are you okay with how you are? If you are dirty clothes, there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to make yourself clean. It takes somebody scrubbing with soap to make you clean. And it's the same with us. In order to be able to live the lives that we were created to live, in order to offer the kinds of sacrifices that we were created to live, and in order to love God and love our neighbor as we were created to love, we need something done to us that we can't do in and of ourselves. So it's fire, and this fire is good. Is it pleasant? No, it's not pleasant. It's still fire, it's still painful. So uh, we continue on with this passage where God's gonna show him what true justice is. He says, yes, I'm on my way to visit you with judgment. I'll present compelling evidence against sorcerers, adulterers, liars, those who exploit workers, those who take advantage of widows and orphans, those who are inhospitable to the homeless, anyone and everyone who doesn't honor me. There's that word again, honor a message from God of the angel armies. Now listen to this, I am God, yes, I am. I haven't changed. And because I haven't changed, you, the descendants of Jacob, haven't been destroyed. You have a long history of ignoring my commands. You haven't done a thing I've told you. Return to me so I can return to you, says God of the angel armies. This is true justice, right? When they're asking for the God of justice and they're kind of thinking about how somebody has wronged them, God's expanding their whole picture of what justice is. And in that, we quickly see that none of us are innocent. We've all been guilty of perpetuating this kind of injustice and we're all guilty of these sins. And if you get through and you're like, I think I've done all these, and then he says, anyone and everyone who hasn't honored me. So there's that word. Yare of um, going through the motions and giving God leftovers and, and uh, thinking he doesn't really care about our honor and our worship and our respect. But he says, you haven't been destroyed. <laughs> return to me. He gives this invitation, return to me so that I can return to you. And so this gets to another question. It's a great question. How do we return and we've probably asked that, maybe not in those words, but I feel distant from you, God. How do I come back? How do I re, uh, enter into what I once had with you? How do we return? Well, on the screen it says, begin by being honest 
Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. And here's another question. How have we robbed you? I love the honesty in the questions, right? And the, the, the desire for God to get the questions here. And then he's really honest with them. Sometimes when they wish he wasn't. The tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring your full tithe to the temple treasury so there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. For my part, I will defend you against marauders, protect your wheat fields and vegetable gardens against plunderers. The message of God of the angel armies. You'll be voted happiest nation. You'll experience what it's like to be a country of grace. God of the angel armies says so. Now he gets to some real relevance, don't we? I mean, um, this is a timeless thing that our wealth has always been connected to our hearts. That's, that's not a, a new thing that's always been the case. It's the, it's the one thing that everybody has, everyone has to deal with is how do we handle what we have? And, and do we believe that God has given it? And can we trust him to provide? Or have we believed the lie that it's up to me to take care of me? And depending on how we answer that, that's going to impact if we have hands open or hands clenched. It's gonna determine how, how we handle generosity. So here's something that we all can kind of determine. And it, 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 there's something in that of honoring God. That's what he's saying. Now, again, we saw that word curse and we can immediately say, well, I don't know what to do with this. But we also see God saying, but there's blessing also. And, but it is, it's not an apathetic thing. There is something, do this and it's here and do this and it's here. And we have kind of grown up in this place where um, legalism, it really takes root of our hearts. And so very easily we can shift to the other side and think it doesn't matter. Can think it doesn't matter the choices we make and how we live. And we need something like this to remind us, no, there are implications with our decisions. It does matter. So what's the response to all this from God's people? Well, look at uh, 3 verse 16, it's on the screen. Then those who feared, there's that word, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. I love the simplicity of that verse. I love it. So much of the problem that's been addressed is rooted in pride, right? Um, it's the people believe in this lie that God is distant and doesn't care, doesn't care what they do, how they live. He's distant. But what they're seeing is this is sin. God does care. He, he isn't distant. But there were some who feared the Lord, some who feared the Lord, and they talked. Now, here's when I was thinking about this, what does that look like to and I, here's, here's the words that kind of came to my mind. We have to stop, just stop. And we have to really listen. And we have to humble ourselves. And then we have to repent. And when I say repent, that's another one of these words that's over here that we're not sure what to do with. Think of it as change our minds. It's because something has been rooted in us that's caused us to change our minds. That's what happens here. These people stop what they're doing, and they really listen, and they humble themselves, 
and they change their minds, they repent. And what is God's response? Remember, this is the God who earlier said, you ought to just shut the doors of the temple because I'm not gonna respond to this worship because of the way it is. Well, now the Lord listened and heard because there's something in God that while um, he resists the proud we see in James, he comes near the humble. Like he gives more grace to the humble. He can't help himself, but come close to the one who is humble. And that's an amazing thing. And humility is a tough thing for us, but it's such a good thing. One of my favorite mantras quotes, it comes from N.T. Wright, and he says something like this. He says, there's something that I think I'm right about that I'm actually wrong about, and I'm not sure what that is. There's something I think I'm right about that I'm actually wrong about, and I'm not sure what that is. Now, that can freak you out, or it can be liberating to know that that God wants to continue to do a work in me. Who I am today, hopefully, is not who I am five years from now. I'm gonna continue to grow. I'm gonna continue to um, be quick to recognize where I'm wrong. I wanna listen. I wanna humble myself. I, uh, earlier this year, I saw the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Any of you seen that, Mr. Rogers? Um, I, man, it was so powerful. I, I grew up with that. Um, so powerful, but there's so much that I didn't, wasn't thinking about when I was a kid watching that. And so many powerful moments. I think the most powerful moment, though, was when he's at this Senate hearing. Um, PBS funding was about to get cut in half. And uh, they allowed Fred Rogers to come and, and speak about why it was important. And he has like six minutes and he shares, he even quotes the, uh, the lyrics to one of the songs he had written. And there's this guy that's chairing this committee, this senator, he's never heard of Mr. Rogers, he's never seen the show and he's moved. And at the end of the six minutes, he says, okay, we're not gonna cut the funding. And I was just shocked because in our politics today, changing your mind, stopping, really listening, humbling yourself and changing your mind just seems unheard of. We stick to the party line. We are not going to be moved, but it's not just in politics. It's in our, it's like the, the air that we breathe today in our culture. And it's not leading to the fullness of life that Jesus offers. And so in everything we do, we'll Will we have the freedom and the courage to stop and really listen and humble ourselves and repent? So um, as we move towards communion, um, I just wanna encourage and challenge you to think about what it, what it looks like in your life to revere the Lord, to honor, to respect, and where in your life are you kind of going through the motions? And I know we all come here this morning with a story. I've, I've been involved with Alpha the past few months and we say a lot of Sunday nights that everybody comes with a story. And a lot of that, there might be some good, there might be some bad, there might be some ugly. Um, we all come with a story in our, our faith journey, in religion, especially if you grew up in the South. Um, maybe all you heard growing up was a God of judgment. And this is really hard to hear. Or maybe you heard all you experienced was a God that's really distant. A God that like, as long as you go to church every once in a while, as y'all, you know, you do some good things, um, he'll bless you when you need it. He'll help you out on the test or he'll help you with a new 
you know, promotion, whatever it is. And God's just really distant and doesn't care that much about you. Um, and that's, that's real. I've felt that. I know we felt that. Um, I was thinking about this. You know, when you're a kid, discipline can be a terrible thing, right? It can be a terrible thing. But what is even more terrible is having a parent that's passive and apathetic, who doesn't care. And throughout scripture, we see God as a good parent who is neither passive nor apathetic, who cares, who cares far more deeply than a human parent can. And his love is far greater than a human parent could ever love. He loves you, he knows what's best for you, and he wants you to walk in newness of life. But it requires stopping and listening and humbling yourself and being willing to change your mind and change your ways. So let's pray. God, I'm uh, thankful for a challenging passage like this. It's been good for me to take the time to uh, go through it. I pray that um, as we trust you, as we prepare to experience you through communion, that God, if there's lies that we've believed about your love and your nearness, that you would just show up this morning. If there are ways that we've been giving you leftovers, if we have been going through the motions, I pray that we would see that your, your kindness leads to repentance and discipline and hard words um, are actually good for us. And I pray that we'd have the courage to, to go there this morning. I pray that um, you wouldn't leave us as we are. You would continue to call us to return to you, that you'd make yourself known and make yourself available to us this morning. Um, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for your work in our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen.